Beloved, who are you? Who are you? That's an important question to ask when you're going to pray. You need to know who you are. You don't need to know who God is only, but you also we also have to know who we are. We need to know what relationship we have with God, who we are to him and who he is to us. If somebody goes knocking on the door of Buckingham Palace, the guard at the door will ask, who are you? And if you're no one, you won't get in. But if you're the son or the daughter of the queen, your access, your entrance is guaranteed. So who are you? Well, Christ commands us, says the Catechism. He commands us to pray to God as our Father in heaven. Our Father. And that implies relationship. That implies covenant. That implies connection. So, the first thing that we need to note with the beginning of the prayer is that that connection that we have with God as our Father is not individual, atomistic, specific people here and there and everywhere having a personal relationship directly with God alone. Not my Father that he told us to pray. It's our Father. We share in Christ. We're members of God's family. We pray to our Father Jesus said it, didn't he? And he's quoted in Hebrews. Here am I and the children you have given me. And so when we pray, we come as members of the household of faith. We come as sons and daughters who belong to the family of God. That's the context for our prayers. Now, there are two kinds of relational contexts that a human being can be in. There are two options. There are two ways of being related in this world. The first way is to be a slave of sin. And the second way is to be a child of God. Those are the only two options. Every man, woman, and child on this earth is either a slave of sin. That's the relationship they have. That's their family. That's their connectedness. That's their covenant. Or they are a child of God. So who are you? Well, let's turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Romans 8, 14. What does the apostle say here? For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that if we're led by the Spirit of God, that if we receive the Spirit of God, the Spirit of adoption, then this Holy Spirit of God 
tells us in the inmost recesses of our heart, he convinces us that we can actually say, Father, to the supreme being who created and who rules this universe. Now, we've heard this so many times that we're like, okay, yeah, what's the big deal? But it is, it's astonishing that this is possible. That we who are of the earth, we're made of the dust of the ground, we can actually come into the very presence of the creator of the universe and call him our father and be received as his children. Now, there's one thing that I want to draw your attention to very quickly while we're looking at Romans chapter 8 here. A while back, a number of decades ago, there was some rather bad scholarship on the word Abba, and that bad scholarship disseminated was disseminated very, very quickly, and people have the idea that Abba means daddy or papa, like a little child would lisp. That's simply not true. That's the fact that the Holy Spirit uses the word Abba, Father, does not mean that we can speak about our big daddy in the sky or we can pray to daddy or papa. That's not at all what it means. The the translation would be something like this. My father or my dear father, the word uh, implies deep intimacy and deep respect. So we can go to God and we can call the infinitely holy God our dear Father. Why? How is that possible? Well, what does Romans chapter 8 say? It's because God gave us his spirit, the spirit of adoption. He's including us in his family. Isn't that amazing? Adoption is such a beautiful thing, right? It's such a loving, beautiful thing, adoption. And we're all adopted. Every one of us is the recipient of that sweet love of adoption. Now, how does it work? Well, this is the way it works. Christ, the eternal, only begotten Son of God, lives in eternal communion with the Father in the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the eternal bond of love between the Father and the Son. And so they're united, Father and Son in, in the Holy Spirit are united, three persons, one God, in eternal communion and pure eternal love. And then Jesus came down, the Son was incarnate, he came down so he could die, he rose from the dead. But when he rose from the dead, when he died and rose, he didn't just get rid of our sins, we often think of that. Jesus died, Jesus rose, our sins are gone, they're paid, the blood washes away the sin. But the Lord Jesus did a lot more than that. He didn't just get rid of our sins. He also won the right to pour out upon us, his church, his Holy Spirit. The last Sunday of this month is Pentecost Sunday, when we will remember the outpouring of the Holy Spirit Onto the church. Now, what does that look like? What does that mean? What is going on? Well, open your Bible to Romans 5 5. 
you know that God is love. And what does Romans 5, 5 say? Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When God comes to us, when he makes his home in us, when he gives us a new heart, when he dwells in us, he dwells in us by his Spirit. And that's the same thing as pouring his love into us. And that's the same thing as pouring himself into us. We are temples of the Holy Spirit, temples of God. God is love. God pours his love. God pours himself into us. And that creates a radical change in who we are. What kind of a change is that? Well, open your Bible to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. And here the apostle says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And we read this text and we say, well, isn't that nice? God is, see what kind of love the Father has? He's, he's just so loving, he calls us his children. Isn't that so loving? God calls us his children. What a loving thing to do. That's not what the text is saying. What the text is saying is this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us in order that. That's the import. That's the, that's the thrust of this, of this text. In order that we should be called children of God. When God pours his love into our hearts, when God pours his spirit into our lives, when God pours himself into us, that love changes something. That love, that spirit, that presence of God means that we are different. We have a new identity. It is no longer we who live, it is Christ who lives in us. And who is Christ? Well, he's the Son of God. And we assume identity in him. Which means that our relationship to God changes, and it changes radically. What did Jesus say after he rose from the dead? If you look at John chapter 20, verse 17, what does he say to the women, to tell the disciples. He says this, go to my brothers, go to my brothers, and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now, in the Old Testament, we get some glimpses of the fatherhood of God, that he is a father to his people. But it's all very, very obscure, and it's not very common. When you get to the New Testament, suddenly it just explodes the number of scriptures which speak about our relationship to God as Father. And the reason is, is because of what God, what Jesus did on the cross. He won the right not just to wash away our sins with his blood, he won the right to pour his spirit into our hearts, into our lives, so that we become identified with Christ and so that everything he has belongs to us. So that his family is our family. So that his God is our God. So that his Father is our Father. Well, what does that mean? What well, means we can answer the question, right? Who are you? Who are you? Well, what kinds of answers to that? I'm a sinner. I'm a man. I'm a woman. I'm a child. I'm a this profession or that profession. I'm a father, I'm a mother, I'm a child. But 
the answer that we need to have before us when we come to pray is this. Who am I? I am a daughter of the living God. I am a son of the living God. Because I am in Christ. Because my identity is no longer the old me. The one who is in sin. The one who was a child of wrath. It is no longer I who live. It is Christ who lives in me. And when the spirit of the living God lives in me, then there is that infinite, eternal bond of love between the Father and the Son. That, inter- that infinite, eternal bond of love also unites me to the Father and to the Son. Well, what does this have to do with our prayers? Well, this, what does the Catechism say? God has become our Father through Christ. It's hard to process, but this is what the Scripture tells us, that when we come and speak to God in prayer, it's as if Jesus himself was addressing the Father. God gives us the same attention, the same love, He desires our well-being. He delights in us. He rejoices in hearing us and having us come near to him as if Christ himself were speaking, were praying, was coming into his presence. That's exciting. What does the Bible teach us? A child can expect an earthly father to attend to their request. If a little child says, Daddy, I'm hungry, a normal father will not give a stone, but will rather give some bread. A child can simply have a childlike trust, can look up to their dad to protect them, to provide for them, to take care of them, to love them. And if a normal father will do that, how much more God, our Father, who has become our Father through Jesus Christ. When we talk about the fatherhood of God, it's sometimes painful for some of us. Some of us don't have dads. Some of us have never known our dads, perhaps, or we don't have our dad around anymore. What did we just sing in Psalm 68? He is father to the fatherless. He is the Father, perhaps, that we don't have here on this earth. But then some people do have a dad, but they might as well not have one. Some people have had a lot of suffering in their life, a lot of sadness because of a father who is or was selfish or brutish or abusive or unkind or cruel or unfaithful or a tyrant or self-absorbed, rather not like God the Father. Brothers and sisters, it's important for us men to pay attention here. How great the judgment of God upon such wickedness. It is a blasphemy against God when a man refuses to be the father he should be to his children. What does the Bible say in Ephesians 3? From God, all fatherhood derives its name. Every father 
as he relates to his sons and daughters, ought to be reflecting the character of God the Father. And I think there's something there that can cause us to stop and think as parents, as fathers especially. Because we're not always very good at being fathers, are we? We sometimes are selfish and unkind. And we don't reflect God's character. The Lord Jesus is teaching his church that we can speak with God our Father. And so woe betide the man who by his words and acts contradicts the preaching of Christ. When a father is focused on his little hobby or he's focused on some kind of selfish pleasure that he's indulging in and a child comes and says daddy daddy i need you and the father says get out of here then the father is saying that's what fatherhood is that's what it's like to be a child that's what it's like to come and say my father doesn't work and that's blasphemy that's going right against what jesus teaches us in the lord's prayer so we need to pray brothers we need to pray a lot For God to make us into godly fathers who reflect the character of the Father in heaven. We need to pray for forgiveness for when we mess up. And we need to pray for the Spirit to make us more and more reflect his character. So Jesus says, pray to God our Father. And you know, we often ask ourselves, well, why should I? Why should God hear me? Look at all the things I do wrong. Why should God answer me? I keep slipping. I keep falling. I keep failing. And to be quite honest, sometimes I look more like a slave of sin than a son of God. And sometimes we can just give up because I'm embarrassed to come to God again. I'm always asking for the same thing, and then I go and do what I don't want to do. It seems like I'm going backwards in my life of sanctification. And so why would God even listen to me? Brothers and sisters, this is the fact of the gospel. The gospel doesn't depend, and praise God for it, the gospel doesn't depend on you. The gospel doesn't depend on me. And praise the Lord for that. Because if it did, we're all lost. The gospel is not a subjective thing. It is an objective fact. There is no question. God doesn't have a checklist first. He's, oh, so-and-so is praying to me. Let me just see what they did yesterday. And, and how have they grown and how have they not grown? And what have they done wrong and what have they done right? No. You are God's daughter. You are God's son. And God loves you, period. That's true. Every second of every moment of every day of every year of your entire life and into all eternity. God is not angry with you. That's been dealt with on the cross. Does he sometimes discipline you like a father, correcting you? Oh, yes. 
Does he sometimes discipline me, correct me? Oh, yes. But he's not angry. God loves you. And God wants to hear you speak to him. He delights in you as he delights in Jesus Christ. And so there is never a moment when heaven's doors are closed against you. There may be a time when you think, Lord, I am so unworthy. The door is still open. You may be changing. You may be having your ups and downs. But God doesn't change. And your relationship to him doesn't change. It doesn't depend on you. It depends on Christ. If there's, and I think I've used this example before, but I like it, so I'll use it again. If there's a great emperor, a great king, sleeping in his bed soundly at 3 o'clock in the morning, who would dare to just waltz into that bedroom of the great king and shake him awake and say, hey, give me a glass of water? Who would dare to do that? No one, if they were in their right mind, except his little three-year-old. If it's the little three-year-old, he might groan a little bit, but he'll get out of bed and take care of his little child. Because that's what a father does. Brothers and sisters, God never sleeps. The door is always open. And God is always delighted to hear your prayer. He always loves you. Every moment. You are his child. He hears you. He answers you. And he will answer your prayer in the way which maximizes his glory and maximizes your eternal welfare. And then you might say, but Lord, I'm dirty. Well, then pray. You may say, well, Lord, I'm unworthy. Well, then pray. You may say, Lord, I'm just wasting your time. Well, pray. Because he loves you, sister. He loves you, brother. He loves you with the love with which he loves his own eternal, only begotten son. Am I repeating myself? Yes, I am. Because we need to rehearse that truth. Because it doesn't sink in, does it? How can it be possible? But it is true. He loves you like he loves Jesus. And so we can pray. What does the catechism say? Like little kids, childlike reverence and trust. And a picture of that childlike reverence and trust we have in, in this little psalm. Psalm 131. Just a tiny little psalm. But it's such a beautiful picture of this childlike reverence and trust. The psalmist says, O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. And so the picture in Psalm 131 is of a child that is not desperately looking for milk like a newborn baby. This is a weaned child. It's safe. It's taken care of. It's just resting in its mother's 
arms. And that little child isn't sitting there thinking, where is my next meal going to come from? Is my dad going to lose his job? What am I going to do when I'm older? What kind of a career am I going to do? How am I going to feed my family in the future? Who am I going to marry? No, the child's just lying there with a full stomach and feeling loved and protected and cared for. And that's the picture of what Jesus wants us to experience as we come to our God, our Father, in prayer. We, we don't understand the circumstances of our life often. We hardly understand ourselves. We often don't understand how God can put up with us and our sins and our weaknesses. And so many times we don't really understand what his plan is in our life and all of the ups and downs that he leads us through. But we're like a little child. We don't try to figure out stuff which is too high for us. We just lie there in his everlasting arms. We hold on to what he says. We hold on to his promises. We hold on to what he tells us. And what does he tell us? You are my child. I am your father. Underneath are the everlasting arms. I carry you through and I bring you home. So be at peace in my good and sovereign and perfect fatherly will. So we pray to our father. But it's not just any father, is it? I mean, it's all very nice to have this loving, gracious father that always wants to listen to us. That's a beautiful thing. We need a father that can actually answer the prayers, right? I mean, if I want to have a birthday party at the White House, I can ask my dad. Say, Dad, can you organize a birthday party for me at the White House? And I don't have any chance of that happening because of who my father is. But if my father's the president, I have a very good chance of having my birthday party at the White House. So who we're asking is important. And who is this father to whom the Lord Jesus instructs us to pray? Well, he's not just any father. He is God Almighty. He is the creator of heaven and earth. He is the master of the universe. He is infinitely sovereign over time and space. Not one electron moves without his will. Not one tree buds and flowers without it being caused by his life-giving spirit. Now, we read Matthew chapter 6. And that's what the Lord Jesus is reminding us. The Lord Jesus says, listen, God takes care of every detail of the creation. Takes care of the birds, takes care of the, the, the flowers of the field, and does a wonderful job of it too. There's just such beauty in the way that God takes care of the tiniest things of creation. And who is doing all this? Well, look at verse 26 of chapter 6 of Matthew. It is your heavenly Father feeding them. And if Father cares for the little animals, and if Father cares for the grass of the field that rise up and that wither, how much more will he not take care of his beloved children that he bought with the highest price in the universe, the price of the blood of the Son of God? So the Catechism is reminding us as we pray, our Father, not to think too small of who God is, not to think of God's heavenly majesty in an earthly manner. We have a long way to go, right? We have a long way to go to grasp the full enormity of who God is, how almighty his power is, 
it is so incredibly liberating when we understand his power, that he's almighty. It gives us such confidence to pray to him because he's in control. Nothing happens by chance. Everything comes to us from his fatherly hand, and so we can be patient in adversity. We can be thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature will separate us from his love, for all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will, they cannot so much as move. So when we're praying, We pray in the knowledge that our Father is Almighty God. The one who loves us with an eternal love in Christ is in charge of every detail of the universe, of history, and of my life. And that means that the stock market can't go up or down without his will. And that means that the manager can't promote me or fire me without his will. And that means that a cancer cell can't multiply without his will. And that means that a cancer cell can't die without his will. God has become our Father through Christ. And if he loves us like he loves Jesus, And if he is almighty God, then he is not only willing, but he is also able to hear us, to answer us, and to care for us. Well, you remember that from Lord's Day 9, don't you? Let's just flip back to Lord's Day 9, a few pages back, page 525. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God, the Father, almighty, creator of heaven and earth? This that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and all that is in them, and who still upholds and governs them by his eternal counsel and providence, is for the sake of Christ his Son, my God and my Father. In him I trust so completely as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul. I will also turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow. He is able to do so as Almighty God and willing also as faithful Father. So what's happening here in Lord's Day 46? Well, the Catechism is explaining the Lord's Prayer. The first line of the Lord's Prayer. And what is the Lord Jesus teaching us in that first line of the Lord's Prayer? Our Father in heaven. Well, what is Jesus teaching us? He's teaching us this. When you pray, you're not just tossing out a few thoughts into the void. You're not just saying some words hoping that the divine being might perhaps sometimes pay attention and maybe might just respond. No, when you pray, Son of God, when you pray, Daughter of God, you have a relationship, a deep, intimate, eternal relationship upon which love or through which love has been lavished upon you in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when you come to Father in prayer, you are always welcome and your presence is always desirable. Doesn't matter what you've done doesn't matter how rotten a Christian you are. 
doesn't matter how much you've messed up. He loves you. And he delights in you as he delights over Christ himself. And so God wants to hear you. He loves it when you pour out your heart to him. He's not just a loving father. That's already an incredible truth, an amazing truth. This loving father runs everything. He's in charge. He's almighty God. So he wants to make things happen in your life, and he can make things happen in your life. And he will make things happen in your life. So pray. Pray, and don't stop praying to our Father in heaven. Amen.